The Start. On Demand. demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Tuesday edition of the podcast for The Start with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Should we move buses away from Portage and Maine? Well, that's what Vote Open is suggesting, and they've got a plan to do it, so we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about how climate change could double the cost of beer. What? What is this nonsense? I don't like it. We're also going to talk about cooking with cannabis. As legalization is upon us, we're going to hear from a local chef who has some recipes for you involving the herbs, some special herbs, if you know what. (laughs) We're also going to talk about The Haunting of Hill House. This is a new show that debuted on Netflix on October 12th. I spent the last couple of days plowing through all 10 episodes. It's creepy, but it's not quite as advertised. So I will get into that and tell you why. And Pot and Parents might surprise you how many parents in this country admit they consume cannabis. And finally, the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba celebrating a major milestone. Moving buses away from yeah. Portage and Maine? Well, never mind the cost associated with taking down the barriers. And of course, we're hearing all sorts of stories. There's a consultant's report due on what's going on with the actual concourse itself in terms of waterproofing, but traffic delays around Portage and Maine are the biggest concern around bringing down the barriers at Winnipeg's most iconic intersection. And the team behind opening it says transit malls be may be part of the solution. The Coalition for Portage and Maine said Monday City Council should consider a transit mall along Fort Street up through Notre Dame to King Street and William Avenue. They also recommended turning King and Gary Streets back to two-way traffic instead of the current one-way. Global's Brittany Greenside tells us more. The Vote Open group says adding a second transit mall downtown is an idea that will not only improve traffic flow if the barriers at Portage and Main come down, but it will also help revitalize a street they say is underutilized. It solves the transit problem. It makes transit safer, makes it faster. Those comments coming from former Mayor Glenn Murray, who along with the Coalition for Portage and Maine, wants to see a north-south transit corridor added. The group is suggesting making Fort Street up through Notre Dame to King Street and William Avenue a transit mall. They also recommend turning King and Gary Streets back to two-way traffic instead of the current one-way. The goal is to reduce bus traffic on Main Street near Portage and offset any additional car congestion around the intersection. Murray says the transit corridor will be more life back into Fort Street, which currently has few storefronts. He says making Graham Avenue a transitway attracted significant development like Manitoba Hydro Building and Trudor Square. And he believes the same could be done at Portage and Main. The opportunity at, water, at Portage and Main is that you have high value lots that are at extraordinarily low value now. If you simply leave it stagnant the way it is, you don't see the growth in tax base, you're not going to see any new investment, and you'll see another decade or two uh, where, where, where the tax burden continues to grow in the city centre and the tax base is not growing. Now, the group wasn't able to provide any numbers on what another corridor would cost, but Murray says he believes it would be minimal. That's Brittany Greenslade, and you also heard from former Winnipeg Mayor Glenn Murray. So, I ask you, Loren, 
Brett, is this a genuine option, something that should be considered regardless of the status of pedestrians crossing at street level at Portage in Maine? I think I think so. I mean, having it worked down there for eight years and always looking out of the 30th floor, um, the buses are often, not, I would almost say they're a big part of the problem. It's just that was where the backlog will happen, right, on the certain lanes because they have to come to a stop to get everybody. So there's always that congestion there anyway. So would it make more sense to create some sort of RCMP, or, sorry, bus court? I just had a flash of RCMP on my screen here, and I apologize. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to set up an interview for tomorrow. Uh, what, <laughs> I just literally just flashed in front See, of me. See, it proves you cannot multitask. I can't. Not you personally, no, just, just human beings cannot. But, you know, would it make more sense to set up a corridor, right, for them to have more free flow of traffic, regardless of whether we open it up or not? Yeah, I'm, <clears throat> I'm terrible at sort of imagining how things might look or picturing how things might look. I just know that I, I see it as kind of a double-edged sword, right, because so many buses go through Portage and Maine. So to re- to take, them, take Portage and Maine off of the map for buses sounds like it could lead to chaos for transit and for those who take transit. But at the same time, if we're looking to improve the the flow of traffic and people's concern is, well, if we open it up to pedestrians, then it's going to add time to my drive. If you take the buses out of there, as Lauren pointed out, that should remove some of the backlog because buses have access to turning lanes or they can do things that cars can't. So if the bus is in one lane trying to wait to do something while the other cars just want to do what, they, like, let's say you're trying to turn right from southbound Main Street onto westbound Portage. And if you're trying to turn right from, sorry, the, not the curb lane, but the, the next lane over, there might be a bus in front of you that wants to go straight through. You can't, I don't think, go straight through from that lane. I can't remember now. But the point is, you might be just trying to go on your way. Well, there's a bus going one way, you're trying to go the other. Take the buses out, then everyone's moving smoothly. Yeah, and I think the biggest uh, opportunity is to eliminate those buses making that left-hand turn on to northbound Main from eastbound Portage. I think that's the biggest issue a lot of people have because that's normally a straight-through lane, that center lane takes you to, to Portage Avenue East, and then you got to take that left You've got two turning lanes, but as you pointed out earlier, that center lane can be used and is often used by buses. And the buses also have to make that giant maneuver from the curb lane into that center lane from a bus stop that's about a block and a half from Portage and Maine. So if you could just have buses turn off to southbound Fort, make a quick left onto Graham and then back onto Main Street, you're not going to get rid of all the buses going through Portage and Maine, but eliminating, if you could find a way to eliminate the left turns for buses from eastbound Portage to northbound Main Street, I think that would alleviate a lot of the concerns as it pertains to uh, transit traffic. Removing the whole question, I think, of opening or closing it, is there just something we can do better down there when it comes to how traffic is moving, right? We've made changes in the exchange, adding bike lanes, doing different things to try to improve, you know, the corridors for active transit. A lot of people will say that's making right. vehicular people, traffic sure. worse. A ton of people hate it, for <laughs> sure. And even myself, when I was down there a few weeks ago, was slightly confused. But, you know, once you get used to things... Is there just a better way? And does it have to be about whether we're opening or closing this intersection? Or is there just a better way, period, to move people? There's tens of thousands of people coming down there. Are we doing the best we can there, period, whether we open or close that intersection? Yeah, and I remember when they turned Graham into a transit mall, there was 
Correct me if I'm wrong, but was there not a lot of consternation about removing vehicular traffic from there? Certainly there was. And it seems to be moving along just fine to me. Well, and uh, based on if you take a, a stroll down there, it's it's hot and cold in my opinion. You've got storefronts certainly closer to the bay on Graham Avenue, and that's sort of become a hot spot for cafes and, and those sorts of uh, businesses. Uh, you've got sort of, I won't call it a dead zone, but there aren't any storefronts uh, around True North Square and, of course, Bell MTS Place. There's no storefronts there. You've got the library and a church as you head towards Main Street and then no real uh, no real storefronts as you've got a couple giant vacant lots on the, on the north side of Graham as you head towards Main Street. But the construction of that new artist's uh, apartment tower may change that. I know they've got some different plans for Fort Street as it pertains to that whole uh, artist development on that northwest corner of Graham and Main and and everything that goes in there. So I think this might be a a time for this idea, at least to explore it. Because Fort Street is, I would say, of all those arteries, north and south, in Winnipeg, probably the most underutilized, along with Edmonton Street. I'm just thinking it was my way in in the morning. When I used to work downtown and I used to get caught behind a bus you all just the jump time. Over onto Fort? So now right. just adding adding like twenty more buses to that street. But is there a better way for all of us to be going? Probably. A couple of texters writing in um, to say that they love the way everyone can come up with a solution for Portage Maine, but no one wants to give any of these ideas a cost. Is this all a joke? Um and I think that's a good point too. People just want to see some numbers attached to things and are concerned that we're just opening up ideas all the time and not really ever pinning down what it would cost to make these changes. But then does that does that open it? And you're right, we need to know what it's going to cost to do that. But that, that that almost strikes me as like a kind of an old Winnipeg defeatist mentality, right? Well, it's going to cost too much, so we can't, we shouldn't do it. Doesn't matter if it's a good but, idea, but ah, it's going no to cost us. We got to put that money into potholes. If you're mad about the cost period, that's not the same argument as saying, I want to, I want to know what it's going to cost so I can make an informed decision, right? And then, and that that is a valid point. If well, it's we just- skip that. We skip that part of the equation far too often, not understanding or knowing what the actual cost is going to be. You know, Jackie and I like to go looking at houses outside of our neighborhood and houses that are outside of our price range, but it also gives us an understanding of what we can afford, what we can afford, ideas for renovations, and maybe we realize that there are some housing options that aren't as expensive, <clears throat> excuse me, as we thought there were. If you close your eyes, eyes to options in in all areas of your life? How do you make an educated decision on whether to stay where you are or to go elsewhere? So I, I you have to you have to explore these things in my opinion to have a better understanding of, of where you are, where you'd like to go and and how you might get there. No, I agree. Like you can't you cannot get <clears throat> oh I don't want to spend the money on this because we have terrible roads. Like I that argument drives me crazy. Money needs to be diversified the same way you diversify your portfolio or whatever. But I do think like if you have a more concrete idea, it's the same way when mayoral candidates come out with a pledge, like, and then they say there's no cost or I don't think there'll be a cost attached to things. Like there's cost to everything. So what are is. they? What are they going to be? Right. And then we can have perhaps a more informed decision on that. And another problem that it creates too is, well, <clears throat> we got to study this and then we got to uh, study it again. You know it's going to cost $400,000 for the study. And then once that study is done, we are going to uh, table that. And then uh, two years later, we'll study it again. Though there, If this doesn't go through, there will be in uh, you know the next five years, another $200,000 spent on some consultation report to tell us whether or not we can reopen this intersection. I mean, the money just, you still keep spending it. That's why I, part of me just feels like, let's just... 
do it already because we know it's going to come down sooner or later. The barriers are coming down, whether it's this year or five years from now or 10 years from now, it's going to happen. Well, they're going to have to be rebuilt. Like yeah. they're going to have to come down because they're <laughs> rotting. Okay. So the next decision is going to be, are we going to spend money to rebuild them? You know, so just that, like this <laughs> next week, this conversation is far from over. It is not the end of the discussion around Portage and Maine and the whole pedestrian concourse. Homer Simpson once said, to alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Well, this headline is part of the problem, I think. Climate change might double the cost of a beer. Mackling. Yeah. I don't like it. Sorry, buddy. Apologize. Like I said uh, earlier, there are all sorts of problems that uh, changing climate is going to cause, and we can argue or not argue about who's causing it, but uh, this I knew would kind of hit you right in the belly, this whole idea of climate change affecting how barley grows, where it will be grown, how expensive it will be, and the cost of beer. Okay, so then is this... Is the question then, is this the kind of headline that will make one pay more attention to climate change? Does it make you pay more attention? Like, are you going to start taking the bus, turn off all the lights? (laughs) Well, I already do as much as I can. I recycle as much as I can. I I don't turn on the lights unless I need them. I unplug a lot of stuff when I leave. That's partly just because I'm scared I'm going to... I'm paranoid about fires starting, but I do everything as much as I can. Uh, I don't, although I don't drive a hybrid, and you're right, I I drive my car instead of the. Although I can't take the bus to work, so never mind. That's off the map. What about you, Bron? No, I'm the same as you. I, I do all those same things. Uh, my my car's got this thing where if I'm stopped at a red light or a stop sign or whatever, it turns the engine off on its own. Oh, do you have the ego? Yeah, something, it does oh. something like that. It freaked me out the first time like, it happened. I feel like you're not so sure. Is that supposed yeah. to be happening? Well, or? I bought it in the winter, and it won't do it unless if it's – it doesn't do it in the winter because huh. that's just bad for your car to stop in the winter, right? So, But no, stuff like that, and I don't know. If the price of beer went up, that w- wouldn't be great when you go to buy beer, but it'd probably lose some weight. <laughs> there it is. Hey, <laughs> that's a silver lining to everything Good if you look hard you, enough. Jeff. I like how you think, brother. Well, I'm clearing the uh, bed out of the spare bedroom, and I'm going to stockpile. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be ready. I'll be ready for the disaster. Beer is, off. Is there a shelf Stock life for beer? Can you can like, you stockpile can you beer? Stockpile beer? I suspect that if you filled that room with beer, Kelly, you'd have this lost month that you could never get back, and <laughs> you'd end up with no beer. Jeff will lose weight. Kelly will come back 100 pounds heavier yeah, from that I'll, room of beer. I can't afford that, but I'll, 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 I'll be prepared to be the guinea pig for that. Well, and you know, chocolate's on this endangered list as well. Wine was Coffee. too, so there's there's nowhere to hide. There's lots of implications well, here, right? Sounds like a world not worth living in. Most, <laughs> <laughs> most crops would be on this list in some shape or form. I mean, if temperatures go up, I mean, even in Manitoba, what you can grow in Melita versus what you can grow you know, uh, in Steinbach are two very different things based on just a few degrees yeah. of separation. So right. if something goes up or down, you're going to have the ability to grow more or less depending okay. on where you are. Guinness is from Ireland. Is that right? That's right. Okay. How about this? Uh, beer prices on average could double, even adjusting for inflation according to the study in Monday's journal Nature Plants. In countries like Ireland, where cost of a brew is already high, prices could triple. 
You know, and, and if oh someone's God. listening and say, well, it doesn't matter, I don't drink beer. Well, if there's tax revenue lost over this, good point. trust me, the government will find some other way to make it up. Yeah, well, and I, I also wonder as well, is beer one of those things? It's like gasoline. We all we need gas and, uh, well, we don't need beer, but... Excuse me. Like <laughs> <laughs> what like... have you done with Brett McGarry? <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna buy it anyway. Is That's the point. right. Yeah, it is an essential of life for for many many people. Well, what it? I guess maybe the question that we can put out on text as well at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. What product going up in price would make you pay more attention to climate change and the environment? Make it turn out your lights. Starting tomorrow, cannabis. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Think about that. Yeah. That could change, too. Sure. Climate oh, change. Yeah. Oh, never thought about that. Is that going to come with that same feeling of, like, that opening the can, <laughs> the cold, <laughs> and a oh. nice frosted glass? I don't know. If- I don't know. Think of that. The sparking when you light a match. It's got that same sort of reflex, that same sound. I just finished plowing through a new show that debuted on Netflix on Friday, uh, rather Halloween-appropriate, The Haunting of Hill House. Mm. Watched six episodes yesterday for the day before, so I'm going to give a quick review of that. Boy, that's binging. Yep. That is the pure definition of binging, especially with the limited amount of time you have Mm -hmm. in your life. When are you squeezing that in? I mean, I can't even stay up past 7.20 is like my out point. Well, I I started yesterday, I think, by 1 o'clock, and that's essentially all I did for the rest of the day. Uh, Ordered some sushi and skipped the dishes about halfway through. Oh, yeah. How did that go? Have you you skipped? Before, well, I actually didn't make the order. It was uh, my girlfriend made the order. Okay, I don't but how did like how did it come? And and were, were you happy with how it arrived? Oh and yeah, all that sort yeah. of thing, right? Yeah, we ordered from a place called Mushiro on yes. Portage Avenue, and it took about forty five minutes, I think, because we ordered, I think, around six o'clock, so it was sort of right at supper time. And uh, no, the guy was nice. His name was Ju Jahar. And I went downstairs to, to meet him, and he was like, I could see the guy looking at his phone, pulled some food out, so I wandered over and said, hello, are you Jujahar? And he said, yes, here you go, sir. Thank you very much. Fantastic. And uh, <laughs> the food was great. It was all fresh. It was warm. Yeah, it was good. How much extra do you pay? Like, I've never done it. I, I'm complete, skip yeah. the dishes virgin. I you have know, no idea. For, for someone who is paid to ask questions for a living, I really don't ask a lot of questions <laughs> no, about I, that. I've used it too, and I honestly couldn't tell you. I don't know. I want to say four bucks more than usual. Like, I'm making that up, but... 780-6868. Lots of our listeners are using Skip the Dishes. A lot of them have not, clearly, because... You know, between the three of us, we're usually a pretty good litmus test. Are you paying for it to be the same price anyway? Like you're getting things that you wouldn't normally get, and so now that service is being provided to you at a slightly inflated cost? I don't know. Yeah, like what does it cost uh, extra to have a pizza delivered right. if you just order it from... It's like two bucks or something, or three bucks. Some of them is three, some of it is more than that. Uh, sometimes they'll charge you extra for using uh, a handheld, like for paying at the door with something other than cash. Yep. So if you have to use a terminal or what have you. So there are lots of charges that come with, you know, what I would consider traditional food delivery as well. And then never mind the convenience of not having to leave your home. I, I, that's not what's prevented me from this point in time from using it. It's just, I think I'm just stuck in that cycle of, 
Well, you know, Chinese food and pizza are the only two things I can get delivered to my house. Yeah, it's it's kind. Of, I also find it a little overwhelming because when you when you open up the app and you go, oh my god, I don't know what I I didn't know what I felt like eating before, and now I have no idea. But when you're with a right. like, I've done it with my husband, and <laughs> too then many he, choices. Yeah, but he gets Italian and I get Thai or whatever. You can also do that, right? Like you don't all have to do the same thing. Oh, that's, that's a good idea. Yeah. Although I. That, it's your best idea yet, McNabb. Thank you. Well, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> is it part of the fun, though, sharing the food? If, unless you're not a sharer. Yeah. Oh, are you a sharer? No, I'm a sharer. Okay. I, I, am I a sharer, or do I like to take things off other people's plate but don't like that? You know, I prefer reaching off other people's plate. Well, it always tastes better off someone <laughs> for else's sure. plate, right? Plus, I always have food envy. Like, I am chronically the person who goes out to eat, and then the person next to me, like, and I'll hum and haw and... Every time, my husband will be like, I don't know why you got that. Like, you know you're going to hate that. And sure enough, I hate it. And I want his. And there we are. So that's me. Well, maybe you want some food with some some cannabis in it. Well, there'll be a lot. I think Skip the Dishes, as busy as they've been to this point, this may tick up their business a little bit more, right? The legalization of pot, even as Manitoba ponders the idea of making the consumption of pot edibles in public, a no-no, a Winnipeg chef is teaching Manitobans how to get the medical benefits of weed out of the shadows and into our food. Global News reporter Kevin Hirschfield gives us the scrumptious details. Alan Pineda has been cooking for 22 years. But for the last two years, he's found a new ingredient, weed. So I'll use like a teaspoon of this uh, cannabis oil for the eggs. A battle with arthritis forced him to put down the pan and wonder whether he'd ever cook again. A couple years ago, I was in a pretty bad spot and I wasn't using cannabis on quite a I was actually drinking a lot. But a medical marijuana prescription helped relieve the pain and he soon learned he could make a meal of it. He's made a habit of passing on his recipes to other prescribed pot patients by teaching a number of classes and hosting monthly dinners for those using medical marijuana. Some people don't want to smoke smoke joints, right? You know, some people have uh, like respiratory issues, so then that's where the edibles come in. And it's not just cookies and brownies. And for this, we have uh, it's Filipino breakfast. Smoke some ribs, smoke briskets in there, um, chicken, and then you have all your millions of desserts that you can make too, right? You know, cakes, creams. So the cannabis oil you can have, you can pre-make ahead of time. With legalization around the corner, he anticipates even more teaching and hopes the next wave of cannabis chefs can be inspired. I'm getting pretty old, so, you know, maybe a younger generation of cooks can start learning this. You're salivating at the idea. I can see both of you just going, okay, never mind the weed aspect. Just everything, right? (laughs) So for many, the idea of making anything uh, is unappealing, or smoking anything is unappealing. This could be one of those uh, things, and uh, this could be for those that are interested in consuming marijuana, either for medical use or recreation, could do that. Uh, without sparking anything up. As of now, edibles will not be sold in stores or online as part of legalization, but you are free to make your own treats at home. The government will hold consultations and create regulations for edibles in the next year. Edibles are often consumed in the form of brownies, cookies, chocolate, gummy bears. Canadian cannabis policy journalist Zach Kotzer suggests if you are experimenting with marijuana for the first time in years, edibles are... Not the way to go necessarily because for some, the high off edibles is stronger and lasts longer. 
Quote, if for some reason you haven't done any cannabis in the last 30 years, do not hop back in with an edible. That is a big mistake. Yeah, I think that's a good warning. And we were kind of having some fun. Manitoba rolled out its education campaign yesterday and advising people to slow, just take things slowly as things become legal in, what, less than uh, 18 hours. But um, I think that's a good point with edibles. I think everybody just assumes it's just something you can pop like a like a pill or whatnot, and we don't know what that effect might be. It's not the same thing. Well, with uh, like ingesting anything, you might want to know your limits. You want might want to know the effect that it has on your body before you go, you know, all out on something with this. Even something as simple as Tylenol and other off-the-shelf medications, it affects different oh, people differently, right? Oh, I've taken a right? and we'll just have to not drive because my back will be sore and I'll take it. And I'll, not because it's, it's not impairing me like in a in alcohol kind of way. I just don't feel like myself. And so I just think, okay, well, that was one pill too many, right? And so that's the that's the warning there. On the other side, though, this man in that story, he's a chef. He had arthritis. He, he said he, had, he was drinking too much, and suddenly you finds a way to more healthily, healthily perhaps wean himself off something bad and, and onto something good. So many people have weaned themselves off the hardcore narcotic painkillers based on uh, the, the active ingredients and painkillers in marijuana. And, and, uh, and, and you know, this is, this is what we've come to the realization that it's— it's not all bad for everyone. There's certain harmful aspects to consuming this uh, product, but for a lot of people, it's changed their life for the better. But treat that person in the store like if you're going tomorrow or the next few days, like treat them like a pharmacist, if you if you will, right? No, like ask them a question and say, like, okay, so what is what's the makeup? There's all sorts of different makeups in there, um, and and tell me what I would get and what may or may not happen to me and what might be my side effects. Ask all those questions the exact same way, so at least you're walking away informed, right? Don't just Google it and see what comes from it. Mackley, McGarry, McNabb on 680 CJOB. I just finished watching yesterday a show that debuted on Netflix on Friday. You may have seen it talked about on social media. It's called The Haunting of Hill House. Your mother, she was not crazy. Neither was your sister, neither is your brother, neither are you. It's that house. Girlfriend says, hey, want to watch something Halloween-y? Netflix has this new show out this week called The uh, Haunting of Hill House. Shows me the trailer. So I think, well, why not? I hadn't even heard of it. I mean, Netflix puts out so much mm. stuff. It's almost impossible to keep on top of it. But good cast, Carla Gugino. You know who Carla Gugino no. is? No. Uh, well, you I go- should, right? You Google Google that. I will you do will, that. You will know who I'm All talking right. about. She's a great actress and, uh, well, Greg, I'm sure, likes her. Timothy, because I like her. <laughs> Timothy Hutton's in it. A uh, bunch of lesser known but great actors. And a oh, solid yes. cast. Yeah, yes, he knows yes, her now. Yes. And a really solid cast of kids. I think that needs to be pointed out because the couch potatoes will often say, and it also stars some kid. So we, <laughs> we kind of just gloss over the kid. But the kids in this show are tremendous. Uh, So we watched the first episode, and I noticed in the opening credits, it's based on a book by Shirley Jackson. And I think to myself, I recognize that name. I'm going to have to look that up after. So we'll get back to that in a second. First episode, appropriately creepy, 
couple of decent scares. You don't like scary stuff, right, Greg? Not not particularly. I love scary stuff. Do you? Yeah. No. After you said you could watch this, I'm definitely going to give this a shot, well, especially this time of year, right? Like yeah. it just works. Well, in the, the, the first episode, it had tons of cheap scares, like typical stuff for setting the table in a, any kind of a horror program. You know, they start up by building tension and then they cut it by faking you out. And then eventually they really scare you. But by the end of the episode, I was scared and intrigued. It's set in this big old house. It's about a family that experiences a major trauma at this hill house when all the kids are young. And now as grown-ups, they're all kind of messed up. So it takes place in the past and when they're kids and the present as adults. So we're getting the stories kind of simultaneously. Uh, because mom and dad bought this house with the intention of flipping it, but things go horribly wrong because it's haunted. It's a ghost story. Of course, it goes horribly wrong. So, but through the fourth... <laughs> yeah. So I was wondering, this all seems familiar. Well, like I said, I Googled Shirley Jackson. Yeah? So the first hit that came up was that she wrote The Lottery. Mm-hmm. Did you read The Lottery, mm-hmm. the short story? That's the one where they're in the, they, everyone has to pull out a, a piece, a sheet of paper. Oh, yes. And then the one with the black. Yes. Right. And it ends really badly. Yes. So I read that, but her book, The Haunting of Hill House, has been adapted twice into movies called The Haunting. Once in 1963 and one in 1999. That 1999 version, by the way, sucked. Uh, it started great, but then it devolved into CGI nonsense. Anyway... To, the short version of this review is uh, the first four episodes were super scary, like genuinely terrifying, which is fun. But then as it went along, it kind of became more about the family and the drama in this family. And it was a good family drama. But it, it kind of veered off touching. the horror thing? What's yeah. genuinely scary to you? Like, do you mean you're sitting there and or like you can't fall asleep right away? Checking like, behind the couch? Yeah, yeah like st- like actual nightmares. Like, like do I want to uh, turn the light out? Like, okay. genuinely scary to me is when I can't, like, I don't even want to walk down the halls of the washroom by myself. Like, I want someone to stand outside the door just in case. Yeah, like when it, when an image sticks with me and right. it, it's, it, 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 the idea that you could be a kid in this big old house and there's a ghost hang, hovering over your bed, like, that's freaky stuff, but it ended up being more of a family drama. The analogy that I would make is Let's say you go for drinks, you order a beer, you get the beer, and you're like, yeah, I'm happy. Then you order another one, and they bring you a glass of wine, and you go, well, this is good, but it's not what I ordered. I I wanted to watch a horror show all the way through, and instead I got this really touching family drama, so I don't know how I feel about it. Beat and switch? Yeah, but it was good. It just was not quite what I was expecting. But it's on Netflix, and if you want some genuine scares, check out the, the, The Haunting of Hill House. I've put the trailer up on the 680 CJOB Instagram story. Interesting headline on the subject of parents and pot, but we start very quickly with something on distracted driving, Loren. Yeah, you might recall earlier this year, the province said it wanted to beef up those distracted driving penalties because Manitobans just weren't getting it. So this would include a uh, three-day suspension on your license, potentially up to seven days. So at 11 o'clock, they're going to give more details on when that will go into effect. I'm being told it will be soon. It won't be the new year. It will be this year, potentially within a matter of weeks that you'll see those penalties come into effect. Before the end of 2018. Before the end of 2018. Holy smokes. So that's something to keep in mind. We're going to update you that as the the morning goes along. But 11 o'clock, we'll hear more details. And again, that's just cracking down on something that nobody seems to care too much about. I, I bet you every seventh car, people are still holding their phones Chatting on their phones, I, I, I'm I'm shocked every time I see it, and not surprised all at the same time. Is that possible? 
You know, I just, it's yeah. like, how are people not getting the, getting the message on this? Question of the day at cjob.com from yesterday afternoon. Brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Should Ford Street be turned into a transit corridor like Graham Avenue to alleviate traffic on Main Street? Close vote. So far, the no has it. 55% say no, 45% say yes. People are a little bit more open-minded to that idea than I thought they might be. Yeah. Good on you, Winnipeg. Yeah, that's interesting. Right it's, uh, that's a close Just consider vote. it. doesn't have to happen. No, consider no, it. No, I think it's, yeah, it's the whole pondering piece. Mm-hmm. So here's the headline at globalnews.ca. 26% of Canadian parents say they use cannabis. Yeah, that's according to an exclusive Ipsos poll for CGOB and Global News. <laughs> wow. Quarter of all Canadian parents say they use it, and 80% of the parents who do use, sorry, sorry, 80% of the users do so on a regular basis. And so it's, and they're not just talking every once in a while. So 80% of the 26%, got it. The majority it. of those who are using it are also using it quite often. Hmm. So Jennifer McLeod Macy is with Ipsos and joins us now to sort of dig deeper into those numbers. Good morning, Jennifer. Hi, good morning. So, that I mean, I don't want to pretend like uh, I'm a mom that uh, does everything perfectly, but I was pretty surprised to hear that a quarter of Canadian parents say they use cannabis. Yeah, yeah. I Well, I can't say I'm surprised because I've been doing this research for a while, but I'm not surprised that you're having that reaction. In fact, we what we did was we delved down into the parents thinking, okay, well, what What's the scoop here? How are they feeling, you know, about their kids uh, going forward among the new legislation? And when we cut the data that way, we thought, wow, parents themselves actually aren't that much different than the general population. So we have one in five Canadians who currently use cannabis and one in four parents. Um, which goes to show you it's not really driven by life stage. A lot of it happens to be uh, driven by age. When we look at Canadians as a whole, the users tend to be mostly millennials and Gen Xers, which is mostly, you know, those with uh, the younger kids at home. There are boomers who are who are using cannabis, but not as much. It's interesting because when I brought, brought up some of these numbers and when we've discussed them around here in the studio, one of the reactions we often have is, and that's just the people who are admitting it. Is it possible that there are even more or do you find this is a pretty good reflection on the Canadian public? Well, I do feel it's a good reflection. We do uh, find that people are quite honest in our surveys. We ask about very sensitive issues. I, um, I focus a lot on health issues and and people are very forthcoming. So uh, I do believe this. I don't think it's going to change drastically after tomorrow. Um, that's not what the data is showing us. So I think it will stay this way at a, you know, a good one in four parents or one in five Canadians, plus or minus who are using. But um, as you said, the, the real finding is on the regular basis, right? So most are using it regularly. And um of that, it's a lot using it daily. Well, and I think, you know, these numbers just lend, in my mind, the whole idea that we've been discussing over the last few day- days that the stigma is already sort of worn off with regards to the use yeah. of marijuana and that tomorrow, yes, it's a landmark day because you can sort of do it in the open, but it's not like it's going to be a massive rush on, uh, you know, on seedless watermelon or some sort of, <laughs> you know, brand new product that, that it's just, people are already using this. And, and this is just now that it's just the shift that it's, it's, you can do it a little bit more openly. 
Yeah, and it, it's really, if you know, if we consider the fact that so many are using it daily, this is, uh, you know, for lack of better words, a part of their everyday life. It's just kind of who they are. We do still have some stigma that there are, there is a fair number, um, about half or so, who say they're, they don't plan to tell people they use cannabis. But, you know, they're not necessarily um, concerned about the illegalities anymore, and, and they're not maybe not as ashamed. Can you explain that number a little further, Jennifer? You said half plan to use it, but not talk about it, meaning that they're going to, you know, they're interested in the legalization and they're just going to keep it to themselves? Yeah. So if we look at users um, and and those who say they're likely to start using one in uh, one in two or 50% say, I don't plan to tell anybody I use it. And 62% say, I'm not going to be comfortable using it in public spaces. So it's not like everyone is suddenly going to newly light up tomorrow and walk around in a cloud of smoke outside. So it's really going to be kind of the same. Jennifer McLeod Macy with Ipsos joining us this morning on The Start. Thank you so much for the time, Jennifer. We very much appreciate it. Thank you. Once again, the headline at globalnews.ca, cjob.com, 26% of Canadian parents say they use cannabis. So once again, she said one in five Canadians admit that they use cannabis, one in four parents. Right, more parents. So is the lesson that I'm learning here is that being a parent is hard? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've already told you that kids ruin everything. Maybe they don't ruin everything. Let's think about this. You you were talking talking yesterday. You had uh, a binging of Netflix, Brett, and then you ordered Skip the Dishes because yep. you're a childless, uh, you know, relaxing afternoon. That is not how I spent my Monday afternoon. So, you know, something to think about. And right now we want to celebrate, Greg, uh, a milestone. Yeah, 35 years is a long time. Doesn't matter what you're marking, but anniversary for an organization that helps so many people in our province and our, communica- in our community dealing with mood disorders. It's the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. And 35 years, congratulations, Tara. Thank you. Thanks very much, Greg. Tara Brusso-Snyder, Executive Director, joining us on the phone this morning. And and Tara, maybe the biggest thing we can talk about off the hop is just over your time there and in 35 years, what do you think is the biggest thing that's changed in terms of the conversations surround mental, surrounding mental wellness? Well, there's a lot of conversations that have changed. Um, certainly what we have seen even in the past 15 years We used to be a very small organization reliant on our government service purchase. Now we're reliant 28%. And as the communities learn more and more about mental wellness and mental health and addictions and illness, they've come forward. And I mean, the last few years we've been helping over 95,000 Manitobans. And all of that typically comes from support through our community. What are you hearing from people within the community? Is it because we're talking about it more that we see that growth from people uh, saying, look, I need some help with my depression or bipolar or other? We're talking about it more, but I know Mood Disorders Association in our 35 years, we've come a long way too. And when we started, we started at a kitchen table. 
wonderful, one of the first peer support organization in North America. We were the first peer support organization to get into the hospitals. And we continue our whole, to meet our whole mission and vision uh, by being excellent. But now today we offer addictions help. We offer youth programming. We offer women's uh, programming through Shopper Love, Shoppers Love You. We've expanded so much that people can come to us and they actually can find a place where they're at. The peer support line, by the way, is 204-786-0987. That's 786-0987. The postpartum warm line is 204-391-5983. That's 391-5983. The website, mooddisordersmanitoba.ca. Tara, if you or if somebody listening to this right now maybe doesn't necessarily have a mental wellness issue, like a serious one, but but thinks that they need some help with something. Can they come to your organization to maybe get pointed in the right direction? Yeah, the beauty of us is we're grassroots, so if you need help, um, you don't need an appointment. You can call, you can walk in. We have a family navigation program, so for people that aren't even where to, sure where to start, we actually help you start the whole process into the mental health and addiction system. And what's the best way to, to start that process, Tara? I, I know the, uh, the the one time I walked in the doors there and, and you sat down with me and spent time with me to help me sort some things out. Uh, you know, I'd like to imagine that everybody gets that, that level of service. But, you know, how, how do you start that? Well, you just simply have to ask. You know, um, there's been a a wonderful campaign, Bell Let's Talk, at Mood Disorders We Listen. So the moment you come here, you will find someone able to listen to you. We've been talking a lot about addictions. Cannabis is legal tomorrow, uh, the different crisis with meth in this community. How much are addictions playing into that conversation of mental health? And are you seeing those numbers rise? You know, I think it's going to be absolutely significant. The uh, Virgo report came out and said that with all the silos in our mental health and addiction system, we really need to change it. I am vice chair of the Addictions Foundation of Manitoba. I sit here as executive director of mood disorders. My whole hope and goal for our organization for the next 35 years is that we address mental illness and addictions simultaneously. And our organization has all our staff in right now for our 35th. All of tomorrow is spent on cannabis and addictions information, what we need to do. 80%, it's estimated between 60 and 80% of people with a mental illness also have an addiction. And that can be all kinds of things. We're taking it really seriously as we move into our next 35 years. How critical, you know, you mentioned how you started at a kitchen table and you mentioned peer-to-peer at least twice, if not three times. I'm going to mention it again because our good friend Adam Milne from Mood Disorders, we've been having that discussion about getting peer-to-peer services in the emergency departments, at hospitals. Just talk about that. What does that look like, peer-to-peer counseling or conversation? I don't know how you phrase it. I think it more a conversation than, than counseling, but in your words, Tara, what, what is peer-to-peer and why is it so effective? It's so effective. Um, I had a terrible weekend this weekend. I actually attended a funeral for a young 26-year-old who died 
um, from suicide. He doesn't live here. If he had lived here, we would have been able to go and talk to him and make him part of our community. We had a 26-year-old who was suicidal here in Manitoba on Thursday night. Our volunteers went and they picked her up. They brought her to our organization. They sat with her. They talked to her. She was here all afternoon, all night. Her mother picked her up. She was safe and she remains safe today. When you have that connection, when you're able to say, yes, I know what it feels like. I've been there. I understand. That's when your world can start to really change. Not to say that clinical isn't important. It's extremely important. But actually, when you start to talk to someone who completely understands what it's like, that's where recovery begins. That's where hope comes in. And quite often, depression and anxiety rob us of hope. And that's one of the key things that peer support offers. Well, I just want to be selfish for 20 seconds here and just thank you on the air for not only everything you do for Manitobans in this situation, but things that you've done for me personally over the years. Tara, I know there's a celebration tonight, and I thank you for the invitation that was extended to me to be a part of that. I won't be able to attend, but I will be there in spirit. And I just wanted to publicly acknowledge just as face-to-face as I could with you today on this special day, um, how important you are to the landscape uh, of our community. Thank you so much, Greg. That means a lot, and it means a lot to our organization. We we work hard to help people, and we work and we do it with love, with hope and care and understanding. Tara, the celebration tonight, is it open to the public? It's not. Um, no, we're we're doing a, a closed event at Government House, and we're very um, honored that their honors are, are hosting us. But we will be doing certain activities throughout the uh, next few weeks, and we'll be inviting the public. One of the great things that happened last week was we had the Minister of Health proclaim Mental Illness Awareness Week at our AGM, and uh, so we're ju- we are. We are really thankful for all the people that we have helped and all the people that, that give us the support we need to keep on doing it. Tara Brousseau Snyder, Executive Director, Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba, 35th anniversary being celebrated tonight. Thank you so much for your time, Tara. Thank you. Thank uh, you. The website, once again, mooddisordersmanitoba.ca.
The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.